You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Hi church, Pastor Todd here. I pray you're enjoying worshiping together this morning. As we begin today's message, I have to bring up something that, that happened last weekend that still has me just shaking in my head. And if you're a Vikings fan, you know that I'm talking about last week's loss to the Buffalo Bills. As a, a side note, I'm recording this message before the Vikings play the Rams on Thursday, so I have no idea how that game turned out. My only solace, though, from last weekend is that the Packers also lost. <laughs> so Vikings and Packers fans were in the same boat, and hopefully that boat isn't sinking. Anyway, while watching that game, uh, it, it occurred to me that you don't really see those signs too much that read John 3.16. Remember those? It, it's one of the most memorized Bible verses, uh, and it communicates great truth. Um, in that one verse, we learn that God loves us, that Jesus died for us, and we can have eternal life through him. So today, we're beginning our series called Identity, My Life in Christ. And the series really is based on that verse that people used to hold up in football games, John 3:16. And it focuses on the question, what difference does it really make in my life that I have been forgiven of my sin and I've become something new in Jesus? So we'll explore that question in different in the different spheres of your life over the next couple of weeks. And I, if you're not in a small group, I highly encourage you to, to be in one because you learn so much more and you have your faith grow in tremendous ways. And if you're a bit hesitant, just ask another couple from church or better yet, someone you know in your neighborhood to just simply watch a 10-minute video and walk through a few questions. It's super simple. Anyway, the John 3:16 verse on the sign, like I said, was a common sighting several years ago. Yet interestingly enough, I've never seen somebody hold up another sign connected to the John 3, 6, the John 3:16 verse, and it's a sign that reads Luke 9:23. Luke 9:23 uh, also records Jesus' words, and I can understand why no one would want to paint that verse on a sign and hold it up for all to see. It doesn't make a very appealing advertisement, if you will, for Christianity. In fact, it might make it difficult to recruit new Christians at all because in Luke 9, Jesus predicts his death to his disciples. I mean, think about it. You've given up everything. If you're a disciple, you know, you've given up everything to follow this guy. And over the past three years, you've endured ridicule, but also popularity. You've seen this guy do amazing things like calm storms, heal people, and even tell demons to knock it off. I mean, things couldn't be better. But then the person you've given everything for starts to talk about what sounds like he's, it sounds like he's giving up and, and that he knows that he's going to be killed. So let's pick up this shocking monologue, if you will, by Jesus uh, to not just... It, to not just his disciples, but to the crowd that was also following him. So we're going to be in Luke 9, actually starting in verse 22. And you can open up our new church app if you use the app and, and use the Bible that's in that app. So Luke 9, 22 says this. Jesus is talking and he says, The Son of Man, which was what he called himself to kind of point out the fact that he, was, that, that he himself was both God and human. So he says, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. 
He will be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, this is not the kind of message that you want to hear from your leader, right? And it's one thing for Jesus to talk about what is going to happen to him. But then Jesus puts a challenge in the disciples' lap that dovetails what he said about himself being killed. He says, verse 23, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I mean, what a challenge Jesus just laid out in front of his disciples. He's challenging them, and you and me for that matter, to put our agendas, our self-focusedness aside every single day to follow him. Then Jesus drills down a bit further and he says, verse 24, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So here we have two verses. John 3.16, the football verse, if you will, uh, which tells about the love, the grace, and the compassion of God to save you and me. And another verse that encourages putting your agenda and literally your life to the side so that God can transform you into the likeness of Jesus. John 3.16 emphasizes believing. Luke 9.23 focuses on following. Those two things are necessary and must go together. And the real reason Jesus is so emphatic about this is because if you believe in something, but there's no action behind it, two things happen this side of heaven. Number one, that belief never experiences full greatness. And number two, that belief is in serious danger of being squashed by outside pressures and influences. So if I, for example, if I believe in my heart that giving back to God financially is a good thing because because it builds up trust between God and me, Um, Actually, more so the trust on my side, me to God, but I don't ever give. Is that really a belief? You know, that belief is in giving becomes just an observation of other people who are being blessed by giving. Or another example, if I believe in the marriage relationship, but don't ever do anything to build a deeper relationship with my spouse, my marriage becomes just simply a partnership one in which I feel that the other person owes me because of the partnership. You see what I mean? So as a Christian, uh, yes, your sins are forgiven by Jesus, and you are saved because of what he did. So now the epic journey is to set aside your pride, your embarrassment, your agenda, and become who Jesus wants all of us to become, humble and loving and gracious followers who are passionate about Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says that you and I are Christians. Luke 9.23 says that you and I are also, are also should be Christ followers. This verse describes in expressive detail five aspects of what it really means to follow Christ. And this kind of sets us up again for our identity uh, series that we're going to be in the next couple of weeks. So the first one is this, this first kind of idea about following Jesus. The, it, Jesus offers, number one, an open invitation. I mean, Jesus began Luke 9, 23, this verse, with these two words. If anyone, anyone is a significant word because it makes clear whom Jesus is inviting. He invites anyone. Anyone is an all-inclusive word. Anyone means everyone. There are no qualifiers, no conditions, you know, and, and no, you know, no list of requirements even. 
Jesus offered an open invitation to anyone. Remember, whosoever will or may come, uh, yet, you know, we often feel like we have to get to, we have to clean up our act, you know, get all dressed up, get our lives straightened out before we can actually even come to Christ. Not so. I mean, Jesus issued that open invitation. So number two is this, a captivated heart. Jesus continued, if anyone, remember that, <laughs> if anyone wants to come with me, come with me is a, a phrase commonly used in the context of a romantic relationship. Jesus described a passionate pursuit of someone you love. So the best way to understand what Jesus is wanting from us as followers is to compare how we pursue him to how we would pursue someone with whom we want to have a deep, deep friendship with. And so do you remember what it was like when you fell in love? Fall, I think, is a good word. You fall in love. When you fall, you really can't hold back. You go all in, right? You're, you're almost reckless in your abandonment. Your mind is consumed. Your heart aches. And your pocketbook is generous. Pursuing romantic love will make us do some crazy things. Why? It's because our heart is captivated. Jesus is looking for followers like you and me who are passionate about him. They display, display a, a crazy kind of love, a radical response. He's looking for captivated hearts. Number three from this verse is this. He was also looking for a surrendered life. Jesus continued, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. Jesus made it clear that if we are to follow him, a, a casual, no-strings-attached arrangement isn't really a possibility. You can't come with Jesus without denying yourself. And deny is, you know, it's really a strong term. It means to forget Forget that one exists or to cease to consider one's own interests uh, to the slightest degree. It, it, it's difficult to do, especially in this me-centered culture. But it was what Jesus did. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus left the glories and comfort, comforts of heaven to come to a cold and uncaring world, to sacrificially die for the people who lived in this world, who lives on, in, on this planet. Jesus never asks us to do something that he was not willing to do. Followers deny themselves. Uh, they say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus, this may sound strange, over my family, over money, over career, over my freedom, over what people think of me. And it's an open invitation. It's a captivated heart. It's a surrendered life. And that surrendering isn't saying that those other parts of your life aren't important. But Jesus is saying the foundation of a Christ follower is putting him first, or putting Jesus first in all things, and everything else flows out from there. So again, to recap, an open invitation, a captivated heart, a surrendered life. And fourthly, Jesus said, uh, Jesus uh, asked us, Christ followers, to, to uh, commit to a committed walk with him. I mean, Jesus continued in that verse, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. Now the cross, you know, right now in our culture, the cross, in fact, I'm even wearing one right now, is just a piece of jewelry that many, many people wear, not really even thinking about what it actually means. It would be like wearing uh, a, uh, a guillotine around your neck or a, an electric chair. I mean, the cross was an instrument of torture and death. And we use that phrase, take up your cross in the church world oftentimes too. Mostly, uh, the, 
because I think mostly I think that it's lost its power. I mean, we think I have to take up my cross and give up Pepsi for Lent <laughs> or I have to take up my cross and lead a, a youth small group or an extreme kids small group. Taking up the cross in Jesus's day literally meant to offer or to give your life in the most terrible uh death at the time, which was crucifixion. So when Jesus said, take up his cross, it would be translated in today's world, take up, like I said before, the electric chair, or take up lethal injection. He was saying, come and die. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To carry a cross meant certain death. Dead man walking, right? A phrase sometimes used to describe a person on death row. And the expression is certainly appropriate for a follower carrying a cross. Jesus took the most despised and rejected symbol of his time and said, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. Take up the cross. He invites us to, and this is kind of churchy, and if you're not a, a, a church person, you might not understand this, but he basically says to die to ourselves and live toward him. When Cortez landed at Veracruz in 1519 to begin his dramatic conquest of Mexico with just a pocket-sized force of 700 men, he purposely set fire to his fleet of 11 ships. His men on the shore watched their only means of retreat sinking to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. With no means of retreat, there was only one direction in which to move, forward into the Mexican territory to meet whatever might come their way. So for Jesus to say, uh, to f- for, for Jesus to say to follow me, you have to be willing to be crucified. He meant that you completely have to allow the worst experience for the sake of the best message. And that message is that Jesus died and rose to offer the world life. That's what That's what Jesus asks. He wants us to move forward committed to him. So finally, the fifth one is this. Jesus really is encouraging us in this study, biblically, and throughout our whole life, obviously, uh, an obedient pursuit. So Jesus continued, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The most literal definition of a Jesus follower is someone who goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus does. In Jesus' day, It was a big deal to be a disciple of a rabbi. I mean, that was like the pinnacle of society at that during that day. Jesus' first disciples were honored that a rabbi would have asked even just lowly fishermen to follow him. But a follower is more than someone who tags along. They are people who recognize and accept Jesus as Lord, submitting to his authority and his leading. So Jesus says, Jesus said, follow me, which means that he leads, we follow. A disciple is one who is following Christ, hearing his voice and obeying his commands. Disciples make Jesus their authority. So why would we do this? It sure doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, does it? But in reality, it is what Jesus describes as the abundant life, as he described it in John 10.10. But the abundance he talks about isn't in terms of financial wealth or overwhelming power. I mean, how many of you know that financial wealth, that financial wealth and, and power doesn't guarantee fulfillment or happiness? There are people who seem to have abundance in everything, 
but are incredibly miserable, so much so as to take their own lives. We can just think through even just the last couple of years, some very popular people who seem to be on the top of the world, celebrities, fashion designers, politicians, whoever it is, and they end up taking their own life because they're incredibly empty. Church, true joy and happiness and abundance is found by being a follower of Jesus because when you take a small step to follow him every day, there's this contentment that settles on you and an excitement as well. There's a peace that you can't under even that that you can't even understand. It starts to permeate your life, even in the most difficult circumstances. You become different. You become a different and better person. Why is that? Well, because you begin to find your identity in the one who created you, who loves you, and has given his son Jesus to die for you. So, as we hit play on our series, my prayer is that you will find new ways to follow Jesus in your life, in church, at home, at work, in the community, and out in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that while we were your enemies because of sin, that you crossed enemy lines, that you forgave us and rescued us and made us your own. Because of Jesus, we are new creations, meaning that our old selves are gone and a better and more epic version of ourselves have come into being. Now, God, we take up that challenge that Jesus has laid out to laid out to the disciples but lays out to us today to do what it takes to recommit to follow him. Remind us every morning, Holy Spirit, to remember that our identity is found in Jesus and true joy is experienced as we simply take a few steps forward in a positive direction toward him, toward being more loving, more intentional, more caring to the people in our worlds, especially those who don't know Jesus. Thanks, Lord. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.